Thanks for joining us today on a special episode of the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Today we have a special guest in the studio sharing their story about how Jesus has changed their life. Join us as we discuss stories and discover how Jesus is famous in the testimonies of those around us. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us at the Jesus Famous Podcast. I'm really excited about today's conversation. I get a chance to talk with Pastor Ben Sobels, who's a pastor of a neighboring church here in Monterey County, Cypress Community Church. We've known each other for a number of years. We're actually youth pastors at the same time in this area. So it's been fun to co-labor with Ben in the ministry locally. And I'm going to talk to him about his story, his testimony, his call to ministry, and his heart for his church and this community. So I think you're going to be greatly blessed by this conversation. Ben, I think everybody knows why you're here today. It's that sweet Australian accent. (laughs) Say hello for everyone. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here with you, Nate. Awesome. Thanks very much for having me. Of course, bro. So uh, first things first, I got to get to the bottom of this. What is Vegemite and why Vegemite? Well, I got a heads up that you were going to ask me this question, so I actually brought oh, some no, no, so no, that if no. you wanted to be double dog dead into trying it, you could try it. But So this stuff was made, it's uniquely Australian, it was started being made in 1923. In World War II, they gave Vegemite to every one of the Australian soldiers who went over and fought. They gave them their own supply of Vegemite for the war. Um, it's got a lot of vitamin B in it. It's good for people who have migraines and it's also helps reduce the bad cholesterol, LDL cholesterol. So there's a lot of going for a Vegemite, dude. It's, it's something that you, that I grew up with. Like you guys have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Vegemite and cheese sandwiches. At 16, I could eat a whole loaf of bread with Vegemite and cheese on it. So, (laughs) so you, you had this, I sent you these questions yesterday. You had this. So this is part of your regular diet still? I always have some. I don't wow. regularly eat it now, okay. but I always have. You want to try some? I really don't because <laughs> I read the Wikipedia description of what it is and it grossed me out just reading it, but I will do it for this. This is, this is great. This is great podcast material right now. All right. So what do yeah. I do? Just, yeah. Just I'll put a little bit on your. Okay. All right. For those that are just listening to this, it it basically feels and looks like he just took some tar off the side of the road and just put it on my finger. And now I'm going to taste it. Give us a Food Network description of what what is going on in your mouth right now. Well, my family makes fun of me because there are certain people who have uh, are super tasters and they can taste like all kinds of flavors inside of, you know, whatever they're eating. And I'm not one of them, but that was disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I never want to put that in my mouth ever again. Yeah. People say, well, what does it taste like? And it's like, I'm not quite sure how to describe what it tastes like. I'm getting strong, like bouillon cubes, like, you know, like just real salty, I mean, I, I it acquired taste, I guess. It's you know what it's made out of. It's made out of the dregs of the beer making process. So everything that's left over outside after the beer making process, they scrape it all up and they make Vegemite out of it. All right. Well, there you go. There it is. A couple of pastors having <laughs> some beer. 
here on the podcast. Uh, no, just the drinks. <laughs> Beer <and> drinks. <laughs> just the drinks. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, more seriously, I would love to get into first just your story of how you came to know the Lord. I mean, there's a journey somehow, some way you came to this community and you're pastoring a local church here, but first Christ had to grab a hold of your heart. So how old were you when that happened and how did that happen in your life? Yeah, I was, I was 22 years old when I came to know Christ. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We never went to church. I went to a boarding school for five years in high school, so from grade 8 to grade 12, and uh, it was an Anglican boarding school, so I got a lot of religion, but I never really heard the gospel, and I don't remember really learning much about Jesus. And so I didn't really, I didn't come into contact with Jesus or his love until 22 years old. I actually... I finished college in Australia. I worked for a year. I saved up $10,000 because I wanted to travel the world and came to America um, to caddy for a good friend of mine who we grew up with in Australia. Uh, He made it onto the golf tour over here. And so he actually became a Christian the year before I came over. And I noticed this huge difference in his life when he came back to Australia. He invited me to come over and caddy for him. So I came over here and caddied for him. And he invited me to a Bible study. And just to kind of give you an idea of how clueless I was, I just didn't even know that people studied the Bible or why you would want to study the Bible, like this ancient book, like, what's that? Um, And so I went along just out of interest. And so I came over in February of 1995. And by April of 1995, I was in church on Easter Sunday. And I was in Dallas, Texas. We went to church the pastor got up and did what pastors are supposed to do, preached hard the gospel, told me all about Jesus, his death on the cross, his love for me, his resurrection, and then he invited me to begin a relationship with him. And I was just so in, after just two months of hearing about it, I was just, the Lord had been preparing my heart for 22 years, but I was just so ready for more. And what Jesus, what I learned about Jesus and his love just blew me away, um, There's a story that I remember when I was seven years old, Nate, I went to a public high school and my mum was trying to get me to be musical. And so she had me play, like learn the recorder, you know, the little (laughs) recorder. Yeah, Yeah, she's trying to get me to learn the recorder. And uh, I used to go up this flight of stairs to get to the classroom where I was learning the recorder. And there was this picture in a public school in Australia of a man on a cross and I thought to my, and I, rem- I, I distinctly remember having this thought: Who is that, and what's he doing? And when I was in church at 22, the pastor gave me the answers to those questions. That's Jesus. He's God's son. He died on the cross because he loves you, and he's paying the punishment for your sins, and he's resurrected from the dead, and now he's offering you eternal life. And I was just, I was 100% in, and it radically changed my life. I, I went into that church one way, and I came out a completely different person, and. At 22 years of age, that was a radical turning point. Before that point, I had gone to law school, graduated law school, wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to get rich and retire early and go surf every day up at the Sunshine Coast in Australia. That radically changed the whole direction of my Mm. life. I just didn't care about money. I didn't care about retirement. All I wanted was more of Jesus. Mm. And and so I can't, can't tell you how radically my life changed, but it was a... It was, it was a 180 degree shift. Wow. There's so much there in just even that part of your story. I mean, there's 
the beauty of Christian art that got stuck in your head early on in your life. I love thinking about golfers. I've heard those stories about golfers and their Bible studies so often here on the peninsula. It just mm-hmm. seems like that's a huge outreach opportunity for guys like, Hey, why don't you just come to this Bible study? But a follow-up question I have for you is it seems to me like in our modern time, especially in our area that we're living in, a lot of people think that there is this hardcore, deep-seated, uh, embedded hostility to the gospel. Um, and I think with a lot of people in our community, that's true. That's the reality. There's a lot of folks in our community who think that the problem with the world is organized religion, particularly Christianity. But I also think that there's a an interest in spiritual things, the things of God, and a, a curiosity that sometimes a simple invitation like your friend gave to you might help introduce that person to the Lord, the gospel, the word of God. And so I'm curious from your vantage point, do you think that that's like an outdated mode of evangelism or is inviting someone who doesn't know Jesus to come study the Bible still uh, a, uh, a strategy that just might work in someone's life? It's totally legit. I mean, I, I, in my world, I feel, like, I feel like I used to be able to smell out religious hypocrisy very easily. But when my friend's life changed so radically, I couldn't explain that. And there was something so real about it that it was intriguing to me. And I was so lost. Like, I was so purposeless. I remember lying awake my senior year, Nate, in uh, college. It was like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'd just come home from nightclubbing the whole night and just thinking to myself, is this all there is? Mm. Like, is this it? Like, I was in law school. I was graduating law school. I had a lot of stuff going for me. and And yet I was still so empty, like, deep within my soul like I should have been feeling like awesome about life and I was totally despairing. And so seeing the life change, seeing how passionate these golfers were about studying the Bible, like these guys were fantastic golfers and they're just like, they just wanted to learn more about Jesus. Like I couldn't explain any of this, but they, they, were, they had a sense of purpose, direction and love about them that I just, why would they talk to me? I'm just some kid who's 22 years old, doesn't know anything, doesn't know anything about the Bible and is a caddy. Now, caddies aren't usually thought of very highly on the tour, but like they were welcoming me in. And so it was really these authentic Christian lives before me. If they wanted me to, if they invited me to do anything, I would have been intrigued to do it just because they were doing it. Wow. That's powerful. I mean, you just think about like People, when they first come to Christ, that's really when they have a golden opportunity to invite friends and family to consider Jesus with them because when they, their lives change radically and they still have those relational connections. I think sometimes it's harder for someone who's been in Christ for 30 or 40 years. They might not have as many of those connections and the people they are connected with might not see the radical change that's happened in them quite as easily because their old life is distant, uh, a distant memory. So you, you know, become a Christian, you walk out of that church. Um, did you start pastoring the next week? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) It's not too far from the truth actually, but like, so that was 95. Um, I just started studying the Bible. Like I actually went out and bought myself my first Bible 
the Monday after that Sunday okay. and and just started reading voraciously. Any time I went to church, any time I went to a Bible study, I just started writing notes in the Bible. I just felt like there was so much. This book was coming alive to me, mm. and I just I couldn't learn enough. So after I finished caddying here in '95, I went back to Australia and was part of a little church and just couldn't. I just started uh, getting like it was a. This is bad. This feels. I, this makes me feel so old, but I started doing this. Uh, mail in college class <laughs> like you get all the notes mailed to you you fill them all out and then mail it back um if yeah I'm, I'm old but i was i just couldn't get enough bible and finally the pastor of that little church i was part of a church in australia a little coastal town it was about 60 people in the church i always laugh because 50 of the 60 people in the church were over 60 years old mm-hmm. and so you know i was like the youngest guy in the church but I couldn't get enough time with these people they these people were so loving they knew so much about the Bible and I just couldn't get enough of it mm-hmm. so finally the pastor of the church pastor Kevin said have you ever thought about going to Bible college and I didn't even like again another thing of how clueless I was I didn't even know there was such a thing as a Bible college like there's a place where you go and learn the Bible like full-time yeah, I want that. And so I actually started looking into and applying at um, Australian Bible colleges. And then he said, well, there's also seminaries too. And then I found out that's like a postgraduate thing. And I'd already got my undergraduate. So I was like, I just need the biggest, hardest, longest thing you've got because i got a lot to catch up on. And that's I met a couple of guys from Dallas Seminary when I was over here. And I really loved those guys. They knew the Bible better than anybody else. And I just wanted to get the most the quickest and I felt like if I applied there and they let me in I'm coming over yeah and they did they let me in and I came Amazing. over and studied at Dallas Seminary wow what a blessing for you what was your time there like I mean I can only imagine and that's such a top shelf institution so you probably were just challenged every day growing every day my my uh advisor said at the end of my before I graduated so when, when you go into to the seminary, they give you a test to see how much you know. And then at the end, they give you the same test and see Fascinating. what the differential yeah. is. And he said, my differential was like one of the greatest he'd ever seen, because, I, which means I didn't know anything <laughs> going in. And I learned some like through the three and a half years I was there. But um, yeah, it was, it was, I was super overwhelmed when I was... In my first semester, I had a 20-page paper on the letter of Galatians that I had to do. And I just went into my professor and I just broke down. I said, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing here. Like these guys who had grown up in church and gone to Bible college, they knew exactly what to do. And I, I just had no idea even where to start this paper. Like what, what, what are we even talking about? About the, you know, where was the region of Galatians written to? And... I didn't even know why we were asking the question. <laughs> and and he was so gracious and he just said, well, just, and I thought he was going to teach me how, like go through the, how to do the paper. And he didn't go through any of that. He just wanted to get to know me. And I was like, so my whole time there was super, super intense, but I also felt like it was just such a beautiful balance of word and relationship. Mm. So you're studying there and was it while you were in seminary that you began feeling stirred to pursue pastoral ministry after seminary? Did you have opportunities while you were in seminary? How did that 
unfolds because I love your reasoning for going. You didn't go so much so that you could join the profession of the pastorate. You went because you wanted to learn the word as Mm -hmm. quickly as you could. And Mm -hmm. you were in a stage and season of life where you could really throw yourself into it. But I'm sure there was a moment where you thought, I think I want to share this with other people. How did that start unfolding for you? Yeah, that's a really good question because I I feel like um, my call to ministry was like a unfolding revelation. I I just did the next thing. And so, you know, when Pastor Kevin said, hey, have you ever thought about studying the Bible? I was like, no. And I looked into it and then that led me to go to seminary. And then while I was at seminary, I was part of a local church there that kind of gave me an internship. And I only got, I'd only been a Christian for like a little over a year when I went when I went to seminary, and the only reason I got the job was because of my accent. The the lady who interviewed me, because I had no experience, I'd only been a Christian for a year, I didn't know the Bible very well even, but all I knew was all she knew was I was starting at Dallas Seminary, so if they let me in, I must know something, which I didn't, um, and then I had this accent, and so she, I got this job with this church and it was there I met a friend of my guy who became my friend Dave and he had planted a church out here the year before I graduated out here in Monterey Mm -hmm. and um, I just knew that when I finished my three and a half years at at Dallas I wasn't ready to pastor a church myself I just knew it Uh, you know I'd only been a Christian for four years uh, pretty much and I just knew I needed to be mentored more and I knew Dave was the guy who could do it uh, I could come under his wing and he would show me everything that I needed to know. And between him and the Lord, um, the Lord opened up this great door to be part of a church plan out, he- out here in uh, Monterey. At We actually started the church in a lecture forum at Monterey Peninsula yeah, College. Yeah, see, right? Yeah. That's, where, that. that's when we met during yeah. that season of time. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're out here. That's how you get to the Monterey Peninsula. Did you know anything about the Monterey Peninsula before coming out here? No, I, uh, all I knew was that it was on the Pacific Ocean, and I just longed to get back to the ocean. Being in Dallas right. for, four, for three and a half, four years, I was just like, you're landlocked. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I thought I was going crazy because people would go, I just needed to be near the ocean. I grew up on the ocean in Australia, the Pacific Ocean in Australia, wanted to get back to the ocean wherever it was. Because people, when you're in Dallas, they say, well, you can always go to the lake. <laughs> the lake the dirty lake yeah no i want to get back to the ocean so all i knew was it was on the coast it was in california of everywhere i'd ever been in the united states the culture of california is very similar the most similar to where i grew up in australia so it felt like this is a place where i could call home mm-hmm. so i knew it was but i didn't know how beautiful it was i didn't know a lot about monterey all i knew was th- this is where dave was and he was the guy I felt like the Lord was calling me to be mentored by. Yeah, and of course we're talking about Pastor David Hong, who uh, uh, recently retired from the pastorate, uh, was a longtime pastor of Sanctuary Bible Church out in Carmel Valley, which eventually the church he planted there at MPC merged with the church that was there on Carmel Valley Road, and you joined him in that endeavor and served. How many years did you serve with him? total in the church plant and then at sanctuary yeah so i came out here in 2000 and um was with him until 2010 which is when i transitioned to cyprus so we were in the church plant from 2000 to 2003 for three years in the church plant and then that church plant merged with the existing church sanctuary i was there for seven years and then we moved to cyprus wow 
I want to ask you, uh, this is probably like skipping ahead way too quickly, but it just comes into my mind right now, you know, because yeah, I met you back in the day, you know, when you first were here from Dallas and, you know, helping out with the church there at MPC. I, of course, was younger also, you know, at that stage, just kind of getting started, similar season of life. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you've been ministering now in this community for a long amount of time, and you, you know, in a sense, we're doing the same things that we were doing back then. There might be more responsibility. Uh, more visibility, but it's the same kind of stuff. We're trying to teach the word to the people that we're responsible to and for. Um, have you felt like different, you know, just being 50 years old and now like experienced in ministry? What are some of the things that are different to you now about doing ministry as compared to back then? Like I know for me, as I think about it, there's just a, it's not a, uh, a self-confidence, you know, like back then I wasn't really sure of myself, but now I'm sure of myself. It's not that really, although the feeling of climbing into the pulpit is definitely different now mm. than it was mm. for me back then. You know, there is more assurance and confidence, but it's m more in the authority of the word itself and mm -hmm. over time getting better and better at um, drilling down into what that passage of scripture is actually saying. And when you get that, you're just more confident because you're able to, to with more certainty say, I'm saying what the Bible is saying. And mm -hmm. I think when I was, you know, 22, 23 years old, I, I hoped I was saying what the Bible was saying, but I'm sure there were times I was a little bit off or I wasn't quite drilling down into it quite as, as, uh, as, as deeply as I should have been. So I, that's for me, like a, a, a thing that's different doing the same thing, but in a different kind of way mm -hmm. in the, in the season of life that I'm in now, what are some things like that for you? You're nodding your head when I was saying that one. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Okay. So first of all, I'm not quite 50 yet. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. 49, and I'm holding on for as long as I can. I turned 50 in July, so I'm just a couple of months away, so I'm just grasping at straws here. It's so funny because <laughs> yesterday at Calvary, Pastor Manny was teaching, and he taught Psalm 90, you know, where Moses says like 70 years and then 80, and thinking about numbering our days. So he gave everyone in the church a, a, a paper measuring tape, and it had 102 centimeters on it. And he said, you know, if you're... If you're uh, if you're over 80 years old, you don't have to do this. But if you're under 80, I want you to tear it off at the 80 year mark because, you know, average lifespan and everything. Let's just cut it off there. Well, I went out to my mom's house afterwards and her husband is like 79 and a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> so he had this like one centimeter left hanging on to that last little stretch. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on to the straw. Okay. So, um... No, to answer your question, though, you know, what's different? Um, I, think, I think I love it more. I think it means more to me. And I, and I feel like, um, I don't know, the Lord has a way of banking up experiences that the Holy Spirit draws out that, like, as, as I'm meeting with, you know, we just had this discussion before the podcast of how I don't feel like I'm nearly 50 years old, but when I talk to guys and gals in their early 20s, 
I feel like I've got something to say, mm-hmm. you know, and the Lord's giving me something to say to them, to feed into them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. Um, so there's an experience level that the Holy Spirit is drawing on, which gives me boldness. Um, but I, I love it more. Like it, it actually, like what I'm doing now, I'm convinced that this is what the Lord wants me to do. Mm-hmm. And this is what he's gifted me to do. And so I don't know if I'm doing, I'm not doing anything differently, like you said, but I'm doing the same stuff, but it means more. I love it more. I'm more convinced that it's the right thing for me to be doing, um, which brings with it boldness and, and conviction. And um, that's what I love about this season of life. Like, I really believe this stuff, Nate. Like, it's not just, uh, this isn't my job. This is my life. Like, this Amen. is what I want to be doing. This is what I, I just want to be serving Jesus with everything I've got for the rest of my life. And, and, um, and I didn't have that in my mid-20s. And right. I didn't even have it in my th- mid-30s. But, like, you know, the longer you do this, the more you realize this is really true. Mm-hmm. I really, really believe this with every fiber of my being. Mm-hmm. Amen. I think that kind of thing needs to be said more uh, by pastors because it can be discouraging work, of course. It can be difficult work, of course. And the last couple of years have been notably tiring for many in the pastorate. And a lot of pastors have either wanted to or even have quit the ministry over the last couple of years. So one can come away with the impression that this is just a painful uh, reality and experience. And of course, it will always have a measure of pain. You you can't do it right and not have some hurt in all of this because the longing of your heart for what you want to see God do in a person's life, in your own life, in the fellowship, in Mm. the community at large, there's always going to be a gap between what is and what you're praying for, working for, wanting to see happen, that gap is a pain-filled gap. Mm-hmm. It's just the reality. But I think a lot of times people don't hear, and especially those considering the ministry, they don't hear the joy of ministry life. There's, In my mind, I'm with you, man. It's like there's nothing better than um, this call of God to be able to declare his truth, to be a mouthpiece for the God of the universe, you know, to take what he said and say it to his people. It's just a pleasure. It's just a delight. Yeah. No, as you're talking there, I just, I feel like you kind of articulated something that I, I wasn't putting into words very well, but like when you're younger, I think you see there is this, there is, it's either joy or suffering. And, and I think now that I'm getting older, and I'm admitting it, um, but now I'm getting older, I see the joy in the suffering mm-hmm. and the suffering in the joy. Like these things are coming together and there's a congruency in these things that I didn't see when I was younger. I thought it was this or that, but it's actually both. Yeah. And, and that actually fills everything with so much more meaning for me um, that, you know, I'm excited. I'm more excited about ministry than I've ever been in my life. And we've just come through two of the hardest years, you know, in ministry life for the last however yeah. many years. And yeah. it's just like, I feel like it's an exciting time to be part of the church because I feel like 
God has shaken up things and shaken loose things that have been holding us back. And now we've got the opportunity to do stuff that we haven't done before uh, in a way that we haven't done before. And it's freshening things up, the, the 21st century church. Yeah, I would love for you to flesh that out a little bit more because I think I really agree with that statement. You know, I heard uh, Ed Stetzer, the missiologist, talk about how during the two years of the pandemic, how in many churches, what they're discovering is that the uh, kind of most engaged third of the church is more engaged than ever before. Mm. The middle third of the church is um, still there and kind of making decisions. Are we going to be more engaged or not? And the, uh, least engaged third of the church is gone. They've yeah. just left. And mm. people bemoan that, but there's something to celebrate about that. If you had a loose connection with the body of Christ, if you were checking the spiritual box and attending church 20 times a year and not in community or fellowship, pursuing any intentional discipleship, trying to really be sanctified and grow and present your body as a slave to righteousness mm. rather than unrighteousness. If that was your experience as a Christian, it's good that you're gone. In my mind, it creates a holier, pure kind of church. And in my mind, you know, Peter talks about judgment beginning at the house of God. Uh, in my mind, a lot of the chaos of our time uh, God has allowed it to some degree to help chasten and purify his bride so mm -hmm. that we could get sharper and better and holier and more about what he's really about than what we perhaps were about before. So I'm about this season. I think it's been, you know, definitely challenging. I feel for all my brothers in Christ who were new in the pastorate or only like two or three years into being the lead pastor in their congregation because I know that it was helpful that I'd been the senior pastor for 12 or 13 years here mm -hmm. before we went into such a time of chaos. And I'm sure you can relate to that at Cyprus. You kind of had some years under your belt mm -hmm. there before heading into a time like this. But when you say that, when you say, yeah, this has been good. It's had a purifying effect. We can we can do some of the things we've been wanting to do. What what kind of things are you alluding to? Yeah, let me just follow up on what you said too, because I do, I do think there's actually a good purpose in that that latter third getting shaken off. They're not coming to church anymore. And I think I think before the pandemic, there was that group of people who was coming maybe twenty times a year and thinking they were on fire for Jesus. And so now they're not going to church. I'm like my prayer for those kind of people, because we have those people that aren't coming to church anymore that that were coming to church before. And I'm hoping that they get a fresh perspective on what church is really all about. And that it's not about giving Jesus the dregs of your your life. It's actually surrendering your whole life to Jesus. And so that's what I'm hoping for that group of people. But I totally resonate with what Ed Stetzer was saying that 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 first third feels like they're on fire for Jesus. And I don't know of any brothers and, uh, you know, brothers and sisters in ministry who are doing ministry that are thriving now through the pandemic time who didn't have an absolute resolute commitment to God's word. 
If you if you if you're not holding on to God's word, if you're not leaning into it, teaching it, studying it, wanting to talk about it with with other believers, encouraging one another in it, that the, the people who don't have a commitment to God's word, they feel like they're the ones who are falling away right now. Mm. To me, every pastor that I talk to, it's been tough, and, and and there's suffering and pain involved, and there's you know people coming and going from church and stuff. But like the brothers who are about the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching the word. They're, they're, they're going strong and they're excited about ministry because they, they feel like the pandemic's given them a platform. So mm. um, I, th- I think that's a real, real um, one of those things I've seen over the last that's couple good. of years. It's because I see you, you. I mean, the reputation for Calvary for teaching God's word, Monterey County, everybody knows that Calvary's going to be teaching the word. And then I look at some other brothers and sisters around the, the county who are teaching God's word. And their ministries are the ones who have endured and are being strengthening mm-hmm. and are being fruitful yeah. uh, for, and multiplying for God's kingdom, not yeah. shrinking up and dying. Yeah. Um, but it's that, that, it's that first third that you were talking about that I think I'm most excited about because it feels like when, we, when you open up the, the Gospels and you look at these men and women who are leaving everything to follow Jesus— that felt like a very big gap to what our commitment is today to to Jesus. Mm. Like we can go to church for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We can give a little bit of money. We can serve for an hour in the church, and that's our commitment to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and I don't see that anymore in the church in the last couple of years. I see people who are really digging in. And and when we talk about surrendering our whole lives to Christ, they're actually doing it. Like they're, 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 every day is all about Jesus. They're, they're really offering themselves up as a living sacrifice every day. Um, this isn't just like a check-in and a check-out thing. This is like their whole life thing. And so I just think that there's so many um, fruits and multiplications of when you've got that kind of life for Jesus, what that does in your life personally, but then also in your church's life, if you've got it, you know, several hundred people who are living that way, Man, expect to see some crazy stuff that you can't program, mm-hmm. that you can't anticipate. Just fruit, people coming to Christ, people inviting people to church and them getting saved, people driving past your church on Baptism Sunday, pulling into the parking lot and, and wanting to commit their life to Christ right there. Um, kind of the stuff that you see in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's, a, there's a difference between the Acts 2 church and the Acts 4 church in my mind. Acts 2, everyone talks about the Acts 2 church, right? You know, Holy Spirit comes down, everything's, everything's on fire. But the Acts 4 church is the Acts 2 church, but now they're actually enduring suffering. Mm-hmm. Now they're willing to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. Now they're willing to follow Jesus, no excuses, no conditions, and they're doing it for the rest of their life. And that's where I feel like the gospel has become so much clearer in the last couple of years where people are not just believing so their sins can be forgiven, they're surrendering their whole lives to Christ. And so I think that's what makes me so excited about being here and now and not projecting too much into the future what that looks like because it feels like if we can get our heads wrapped around that, living that way, um, man, that's an exciting place mm-hmm. for, for a believer to be, for a church to be, and for a county to, believe, to be. Yeah, it's, uh, it, to me, just hearing you talk about that, it's like... Uh in times of chaos, easy believism or a loose affiliation with Christianity just don't get you very far. 
they just don't work. So you're either got to be all in or all out. And I think you and me, we have a similar kind of personality. I mean, hearing your story of when you came to Christ, I was kind of that way too. It was like, I'm either going to be all in on this thing or all out that I'm not really interested. If it's true, it demands my life. It, yeah. it demands all of me, you know, yeah. and it's worth investigating. So, so God is doing some cool stuff at Cyprus. It sounds like you're fired up, you know, for the ministry and for the future. What are some of the obstacles you see here in this community? You know, the Monterey Peninsula, the greater Monterey Peninsula area, the Salinas Valley. What are some of the uh, hurdles for the gospel here in our area in your mind? Yeah, I remember um, I remember reading a, a survey that the Barna Group did back in 2016 and you know, Monterey Salinas as a combined city is the mo- the 14th most unchurched city in America. Wow. Like, and I just go, that in some ways that was crushing news, but in other ways it was very validating <laughs> in a sense right. because it was like, yeah, this area is a really tough, this is tough soil for the gospel here. Um, you know, we've been praying for revival for 20 20 years that I've been here. And I know mm-hmm. that there's been groups that have been praying for revival for Monterey County for longer than that. And it's just tough soil. Um, people just, they, they've, they've maybe gone to church and now they're checked out of church altogether. And it's hard to get those people back to church when they've already had a bad experience um, with church. And so I think, I think having been thinking through that, you know, since hearing that stat, um, I, I, I feel like just that knowledge, that sense, that that history. I think I think there's some spiritual forces at work that just have got chains around people's lives in this county. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the pandemic's really shaken some stuff up. I'm, I baptized a guy back in January, who's very well to do, um, very successful guy. But over the last couple of years, he just felt like his whole world had been shaken up. All of the control that he felt about his life and the success that he'd um, experienced, it wasn't enough. Yeah. And, and that's what I get the sense of, you know, you can hold on to worldly stuff for as long as you want, but there's points at which, and I think where as things ramp up um, around the world, people's lives are getting shaken down. What is this really all about? And what can I really trust and hold on to? What really is secure and stable? The only thing is Jesus. That's it. I mean, he's it. And if your life isn't surrendered to him, then there's not much to hold on to. So I feel like there is a a unique opportunity in this area because it's been so dark for the light to shine really brightly right now. Mm. And I feel like with that first third being so fired up um, and that bottom third, that easy belief, easy believism group kind of falling off the radar it just makes the light that much brighter Mm. and so i I feel like we're at a kind of an inflection point for something really cool to happen here in monterey county even though it's been traditionally one of the most unchurched places in america yeah i think that's well said i mean you're identifying the um the false god of uh, wealth or security the perception of security and yeah, we definitely run up against a lot of that in this area. Part of, partly, uh, you combine the wealth with the beauty of the area. It's like a drug that just lulls people to sleep. You know, they're not. Why? Why think about 
anything difficult when I'm surrounded by beauty or I'm surrounded by my palatial estate and, you know, tons of wealth. But the events of our day, they kind of break through that to a degree. That's a great way to be praying. I'm going to join you in, in asking God to do that. There's, there's, there's something about Monterey County, too, that is, um, I don't know, there is massive differentials in our, in our community here where you've got very, very wealthy people and then very, very poor people. Yeah. And very, very successful people and then very pe- people who are just completely... And they're, sometimes they c- collide too, like the drugs, the drug problem here, the sex trafficking problem here, the the homelessness problem here. I mean, I remember going out and planning a church in Kashawar in 2007, and Kashawar didn't have drinkable water. And this is a community in Monterey County, one of the wealthiest right. counties in the entire world. And this one community didn't have drinkable water. There was too much fluoride in the water source out there and they didn't have drinkable water and kids' teeth were falling out. And you go, how could the wealthiest county in, one of the wealthiest counties in the world not have drinkable water for its people? So there's these, this... this the disparity. Disparity is the right word. Yeah, that's right. The disparity between the rich and the poor here is quite shocking. And there's also, there's the materialistic side, but then there's this spiritual darkness side. Like we've been going through the book of Exodus and going through, um, we've just finished the 10 plagues and you've got the magicians who are doing all their magic tricks and kind of mimicking Moses for the first couple of plagues until they kind of reach their limit. But they're doing something like that's actually mimicking what Moses is doing. And I was just doing some reading about the... uh, Wiccan and witchcraft and stuff that's practiced here. It's like practiced right out the hills out the back of Cyprus. We've had guys that are running up in the hills up there and they come across these places where like animals have been sacrificed and wow. things. And so there is a the materialistic dull dullness and dulling sense that happens. But then there's also this there's a real spiritual darkness happening too where we live in a pretty dark place, you know, yeah. for the gospel. I think for me as I've you know, pastored here like you for a number of years. Uh, you know, we have a lot of ministries here in the church, and I'm sure like Cypress does, that interacts with a lot of the more visible hurt in our community. So our bridge ministry, for instance, or different um, ministries like that where you're, you know, reaching into the foster care system or some of the community disparity mm-hmm. that does exist. And I think one of the things I've noticed, at least in my own heart, is that, I mean, obviously when you look into the word, there's always the heart of God is clear. I want you to pursue those pockets of hurt. I want you to minister into those areas of pain. So I think it's good for churches to have that. But a check that I've tried to have in my heart is to... um, I think probably a way I would say it is there's generally or often more openness and receptivity to the gospel in those areas of pain and hurt Mm -hmm. that you don't find as easily in the wealthier, more well-to-do parts of our community. And I used to almost kind of speak down to that part of our community, the wealthier Mm -hmm. portion, and almost in my mind kind of tell myself, 
that's not where God's going to move. You know, Jesus came and he lived in Nazareth of all places. You know, mm-hmm. when, when the spirit moves here, it's going to happen amongst the disenfranchised and those without privilege and those who are experiencing, you know, poverty. That's where it's going to occur. And to a degree, I believe that. But I want to hold on to the conviction and belief that God can reach anybody in this community, including yeah. those who do have generational wealth or ease or power or influence. And I think we both love those stories when we do see that happen, you know, mm-hmm. in the context of our local church, but just, and I think I appreciate that about you. I mean, you ministered for years, you kind of had that dichotomy, you know, you're going out to Kashawa planning a church while you're serving a church in Carmel Valley, you know, which is a, a pretty well-to-do nowadays, at least kind of area of our community. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with both types of, of, um, the, the full spectrum of our community. And, uh, so I'm praying that God will do that. And I think the church is kind of, we're, we're like this beautiful last oasis where you see all those different types in our community coming together yeah. in one community to worship the Lord and, and be together. So now we need I to pray. At, yeah, that's, it's, it's, you're bringing up something that, um, like when I'm reading through the gospels and I'm looking at the life of Jesus and he was a, he was a, he was a man for the, for the masses. Like he went out, the people he spent 90% of his time with were a group that he called, like referred to as the least of these. These were the, the sick, mm-hmm. the, the poor, the demon possessed, the, the destitute, the homeless, the, you know, these were the outcasts. But the uniqueness of his strategy was that he would go out and spend time with these people, but in doing that, it would draw everybody. Everybody would come out to see him, and those people would be ministered to. And so, the what happens is you've got guys, you've got like the demon possessed men and the the and the sick woman, and then you've got Zacchaeus coming along, who's this wealthy tax collector guy, and they all you know all these people are coming and attracted to Jesus, yeah. but he's attracting the the church's attention to this group of people who really in the world are often forgotten about. Mm-hmm. So um, you mentioned earlier the, the importance of the word in ministry. So what are you, what are you teaching your, uh, your church right now on Sundays? What, what, what are you guys going through? Yeah, we are reading uh, through Exodus. We're going to go through all 40 chapters this yeah. year. And um, so <clears throat> 2020, we went through uh, the book of Acts, learned mm-hmm. all about the Holy Spirit. And then last year, we went through the book of Romans, learned all about church oneness in the church and then this year we're going through exodus and i'm not i don't know this for a fact but i'm getting the sense that god reveals like exodus is a massive book like as far as like god revealing himself and i think this is true but i think god reveals more of himself in the book of exodus than any other book in the bible Mm. like he reveals his name in the book of exodus he reveals this description of his character in in exodus chapter 32 where he says um, that I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Like all these massive revelatory moments are all traced back to the book of Exodus. And mm-hmm. so my sense is that the book of Exodus really is about God revealing himself to his people and his people experiencing revival in him. And so um, 
you know, we're up to, we, we just finished Exodus 13 yesterday. We're reading Exodus 14 next, this coming Sunday, parting of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And as we're going through Exodus, it's like every, everywhere Joni and I look and turn and everything we read, it's all about Moses, the Exodus, the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, the plagues, you know, Pharaoh, you know, all these different things. But it's one of those things where you just know, I feel like that's one of the ways God confirms we're right where we're supposed to be mm-hmm. when we're studying his script, the word, and he's just like going, yes, you're in the right place. He's confirming it through all these yeah. little bits and pieces. Yeah. we. I took the church through Exodus at our midweek service uh, last year. And yeah, it was my first or uh, second time teaching through Exodus, but it was, I felt like, like you said, you know, with fresh eyes, like, man, this is, there's so much original content here in the book of Exodus where you're getting this new facet or wrinkle to who God is. So mm. What are you guys powerful. going through right now? Well, we just finished the book of Nehemiah and uh, right now I'm doing something I don't normally do and I'm actually doing a topical series on the theology of career and work. It's just like a four-week thing, why work matters, why work is hard, why work is, or how to do good work and then money and work. Then we'll move on to Habakkuk, then Jonah, and then, I don't know, maybe Colossians. What are you doing after Exodus? I, Leviticus? No, <laughs> I'm not sure yet. I, I, I'm not sure. We, I, when I first got to Cyprus, I taught through a lot of the small books because I yeah. just wanted to get our get people in a rhythm. Yeah. yeah, get our people in a rhythm of just getting through books of the Bible and feeling good about like studying the scripture. And so, you know, after 12 years of being at Cyprus, Oh, there's no small books left. So we've got to yeah. tackle these massive books yeah. like Acts and yeah. Romans and Exodus. So I'm not sure what we're doing next. I'm just trying to kind of buried in the Exodus series right now and, and um, trying to just soak up and enjoy that as much as possible. But Habakkuk, dude, that is like one of my favorite books. I just love Habakkuk's story. I love the part where God shows up and says, I'm going to do something in your day that you're not even going to believe. <laughs> And it's not a good thing, yep. <laughs> but it's something that brings revival. Like, yeah. I love how Habakkuk just, uh, he says, Lord, I've heard of your glory and your fame in previous days. Renew that in our day. Mm. And I think that's my prayer request right now is like, we've heard of all these different amazing things that you've done. Would you do that here in Monterey County? Mm-hmm. We'd love to see you do that here yeah. because if, if you use the weak things um, and the foolish things to to bring your glory, like what could be more weak and foolish than the 14th most unchurched city, you know, in America, yeah. and just a very dark um, materialistic county turning that on its head, yeah, and and um, the church be revived in this county. Yeah, I've just been thinking about the concept of. You know, the way that book starts where he is complaining to God, you know, your law is powerless. You know, there's no real change or transformation. Your people are weak. We're emaciated. What are you doing? And then God saying, well, it's going to be worse than that. Like you said, you know, and the Babylonians are going to come. They'll be my disciplinary hand on your lives. And then his uh, back you know, objection to it of how could that be? They're they're worse than us how could they be your disciplinary hand in our lives and i am definitely going to try not to put too fine of an edge on it but i think that's an experience a lot of us are having over the last Mm. few years Mm. you know where we want to see god doing more in the church 
we kind of, I, I don't talk to a lot of people that say like overall, like the church is healthier than it's ever been. Like we, we read the book of Acts and we, oh, there's a gap there between what they had and what we have. So we'd love to see more happen. But then for God to produce that by bringing in these allowing these crazy ideologies to come into our Western culture, these crazy times of upheaval, mm. all this stuff where, you know, parents are feeling like I can't even turn on Disney plus anymore without, you know, sanctioning something terrible, you know, kind of deal. But yet maybe God is letting some of those things into our lives to help create this new day in the church where we get back to all the stuff that God told them they needed to be about in Habakkuk chapter two. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it, I don't think um, God's holding out on us and I don't think it's because he doesn't do those things anymore. Amen. I think he's, he's really waiting for the church to be fully surrendered. Yeah. You know, do you really like, I think that's part of this Red Sea experience and, and, and the, the beginning of the journey of the Israelites through the wilderness out of, out of Axes, they had seen God do all of these amazing things in Egypt. And yet three days into their journey out of Egypt, into the wilderness, they're complaining and whining and groaning. And, and it's like, yeah, so I, I think God, God is, is, is ready and he's asking us, are you guys ready? Yeah. And, and that, there's that first third that you mentioned, and I feel like they're saying, we're ready, we mm-hmm. want it, and we're ready to give our lives for it. And, and that's exciting to me. It's, it's intimidating, you know? I mean, as lead pastors, the Lord's asking us, you know, are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, knowing that there's brothers like you and Kevin and Mike, you know, Kevin at Shoreline and, and Mike over at Monterey Church and Tony at Wellspring and Tim at Carmel Press and all these brothers and sisters in Christ around, around our county. And I just go, I think they're really ready. I think they're, if the Lord said, are you, are you ready? Mm-hmm. I think they're saying, yeah, we're ready. Yeah. They're hungry. They're ready. They've been, they've been in ministry long enough to know this is this means more than it ever has. They love it more than they've ever loved it. Um, and they're convinced by it more than they ever have. So there's yeah. this boldness that's coming out that I just go, something's different here. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We got some good pastors in this area who are about the right things. So when you when you're thinking about like what you're gonna teach next and you know what the future holds, are you one of like do you think long range are you one of those guys do you have the big 20 year spreadsheet or are you just kind of like i'm gonna get through this book feel it out pray about what's next and then do you kind of envision i mean you've been here for a while already so i'm having a hard time imagining that you're wanting to go anywhere else so do you envision like ben at 70 years old you know standing in the pulpit at cyprus you know going for it what's What's kind of the end game for you? Yeah, I, I, well, I've been thinking a lot about this because, um, you know, I am, I'm turning 50 this year. I'm just having a lot of, you know, what do I want the, the, the next 25 years to look like? If the Lord gives me that long and if he hasn't returned yet, um, what, do I, what do I, you know, what do I think about that kind of stuff? And so I don't know. The, 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 the bottom line is I don't know about, you know, what it looks like. All I know is that, the, that God has surrounded me with some men at Cyprus where I go, when I'm in my mid-70s, if I'm, 
if I'm alive at 70, in my 70s, I want to be living my life like that, these guys. Hmm. Like I want to be, you know, I want to be fit. I want to these be These are active. guys that are want, in their 70s now. They're in their 70s yeah. right now and they're, they're, they've got more wisdom than anyone. They've, they've lived a long time and so they've got more resources than ever before. They've got more wisdom than ever before. They've got more Bible knowledge than ever before. They've got more relationships than ever. They're, these guys, and they're, they're, they're living an amazing life in their 70s. And I go, when I get to in my 70s, whatever I'm doing, whatever it looks like, I want to be like these guys um, because they are living their life fully for the, for the church and for the Lord right now. And so whatever it looks like, I've got 20 different guys in my church right now that I just go, it all looks different for them for, for each, in each of their lives, but it's all remarkably the same too. Mm. Um, they're just, they're in. And, you know, these are the guys who are serving as our elders right now and, and um, are making a huge difference in our, in our church right now. I want to be like that. So I've got a picture of what, it, what I would like it to look like, whatever it looks like, um, thanks to these guys in my church. But as far as, um, you know, one of the most interesting things that you've asked a really interesting question because I think there's all different ways to, to do it right to to figure out how to preach some guys i know are just fly by the seat of their pants they don't even know what they're preaching this sunday yet right they're just they're just going to let the lord lead awesome um i'm not one of those guys that would freak me out like not to know what i'm preaching like three weeks from now amen (laughs) that would freak me out but some for some guys it works awesome so go for it um other guys are so dialed in they've got the next five years mapped out um I feel like I'm somewhere in between. I've got the rest of this year mapped out and about August, September, I'm thinking through what's the next year look like. Um, things have changed so much in the last three or four years that um, I feel like the Lord's been leading me one year at a time and mm-hmm. he's working with the way I'm made um, that that works. Mm-hmm. And so like when we hit 2020 and we were going, we just started going through the book of Acts and I was just thinking to myself, you know, March march hits and the churches are shut down for eight weeks or whatever and all these different things happen you go well do we go out of acts do we break the pattern and we didn't we stuck with with acts i felt like the lord led us to that book and we were supposed to stick with it and it was amazing how the prep the three or four month preparation of mapping it out of of figuring out how to preach this whole book in a year you know what pace we need to go at what, how much of a chunk we needed to take what what passage when um i think the lord uses all of that mm-hmm. he uses the way you do it he uses the way kevin kevin harney's got things mapped out on thursday night i'm not finished until seven o'clock on sunday morning like i th- things are still changing and moving in my mind like i have a, an outline i know exactly what i've been doing i've been studying this passage for three months but the fine nuances of, of even words of the points to the, my sermon, I'm still working that stuff out right up to the last yeah. minute, yet I've been dialed in on it for three or four months. Right. So that's, yeah. that's the way I do it. I've got 2022 mapped out. We're going through Exodus. We'll finish up at the end of November, and then we'll get into the Christmas season. In, interspersed in that, we've got some guests coming in and all sorts of stuff, but I feel like I'm uh, one of those guys who I need to know what I'm doing for me to do it really well mm-hmm. in advance. But then at the same time, there's a spontaneity that I need to have too to keep it fresh and alive. Mm-hmm. That if I'm too mapped out and too organized, um, it, 
goes stale for me. And it sounds like you're kind of keeping track of what you've taught previously because so that you're not repeating uh, texts for the church, but you're continually plowing new ground. You kind of have an objective of, you know, X amount of books of the Bible you're trying to complete or getting the whole thing done. I mean, what's, what's kind of your long range? Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like you and I are on the same track here where I'm just, I'm just, I've never actually taught the same book twice at Cyprus. Um, I'm trying to get through every book of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, we went through Lamentations about four years ago. <laughs> People are like, why, why are you teaching through Lamentations? And I'm like, cause it's in there. It, it's in the scriptures. God has inspired it and he's, and he's kept it around and, and endured it for our time. And it's God's wanting to speak through it. And it's and, way shorter than Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you but there's there's something to lamentations where I just see I've done several funerals here in the last couple of months. Um, some big funerals from people who I have really loved mm. and have been very much an integral part of our church. And I go, if the church if we don't know how to grieve all the way through to hope, something's something's missing in our experience. If we can't grieve death. We're not really fully experiencing life. And that's where I just feel like Lamentations drags us into that place that none of us want to go, but we all need. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Ben, I want to respect your time and our listeners' time and want to wrap things up. And in a minute, I'll give you a moment to share any uh, word of encouragement or exhortation to the people of Calvary Monterey who might be listening to this podcast, although not everybody listening to it is a Calvary Monterey church uh, member. Uh, but uh, I want to thank you for coming on and spending a little time chatting with me. I appreciate you and your ministry, your steadfastness in the word and just being about the right things. You've been a real great example to me, a little bit of an older brother, just a little bit. And uh, it's just been awesome knowing you and, and um, you know, having that connection and relationship with you. And of course, Neither of us know what the Lord has in store, you know, for the future. We would never want to say that we know with certainty how many years we've got left or how much longer we'll be in our respective pulpits. But my hope and prayer is that I get to be here in Monterey for a really long time. And I hope and pray that you're likewise Mm. at Cyprus for Mm. a really long time and that we can uh, someday in the future kick back on the porch and eat some Vegemite and, uh, and just reminisce about some powerful things that God did, you know, in Mm. this, uh, community, which by the way, I can still taste that Vegemite. It's like in the back of my throat right now. I don't have any water nearby and I'm, I'm paying the, I've been paying the price all podcast long for for taking that little gift to you, my potting gift. Oh my goodness. It's the worst. So Ben, any, any closing uh, word of encouragement for the church? I think I just want to just share with you and um, Calvary Monterey, like all of us at Cyprus are huge fans of what you're doing here. Um, we pray we pray, actually literally in our service on a rotating basis for you and for Calvary uh, in our services regularly. And, and uh, every Wednesday night we're praying for all the churches in the area. Um, Calvary is, you know, on the top of that list. And so I just love what you're doing here, brother. 
I'm super encouraged by you sticking it out here for such a long time. I think that when we get guys who are preaching the word, uh, preaching the gospel, we need to hold on to those guys as long as we can. And part of the longevity of what God wants to do here, I think, is guys sticking in, mm. sticking in and staying here, even though it's tough. Um, but yeah, you're doing a great job. I just want to encourage your church, man, follow Jesus no matter what it costs. And, and I think we are going to see some really cool stuff. And then you, you, one of the questions had to do with like the next 20 years. And I just go, I have no idea what the Lord wants to do. But I know the one thing that we can do is surrender our lives fully to him. And if we do that, I think we're going to see some great and mighty things. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.